Welcome to Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. I'm your host, Damali Peterman. On this podcast, we introduce our new season's theme, Resilience, and I, along with the guest co-host, will share how we remain resilient amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. We want to inspire our listeners to continue to break through. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, I have the one and only Erica Marks. Erica is Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations at SUNY New Paltz, and she's Executive Director of the SUNY New Paltz Foundation. Previously, she was the Interim VP of Development and Alumni Relations of NYU. Her fundraising career includes senior and leadership positions at a range of educational, social, and arts organizations, including Columbia University School of the Arts, New York City Opera, Merce Cunningham Dance Company, the Actors Fund, and DC's Arena Stage. And I'm from DC, so I'm a big fan of that one. She (laughs) earned a BA in English from Maharishi International University and an MA in Arts Administration from New York University. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I'm so excited. And I want people to know how I know you. We had the pleasure of first being introduced without meeting in person. I was a guest on an entrepreneurship panel that was hosted by the Business School of SUNY New Paltz. And through some mutual friends, we were connected And it's been, you know, amazing getting to know you ever since. And so I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, focused on the theme of resilience as it relates to conflict and how you, Erica, or your company, your organization, or your industry has, have navigated the last 18 months. And so the goal here is to encourage and inspire our listeners to continue to break through. Now, you and I have had the pleasure of chatting on more than one occasion. Uh, recently, we were both in attendance at the unveiling, if you will, or the, the new season of the Dorsky Museum. And so we have a really great free-flowing conversation. But for our listeners, what's key here is that they feel as though they're eavesdropping on a private chat between two friends. And so I want them to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and so my first question for you is, what do you want people to know about you? And if you can describe yourself in six words, what would those six words be? Six words. Oh, that's always challenging. But thank <laughs> you for that. I would say that I am a leader, uh, a visionary, um, a professional development professional, uh, an advocate, and a dancer slash poet. So I've achieved <laughs> seven Seven words. <laughs> <laughs> we'll allow it. That's amazing. So a leader, mm-hmm. a visionary, says something that more uh, along the terms of philanthropic work, right? So development professional and an advocate. Advocate, development professional, and also a dancer slash poet. Um, amazing. People, when they ask me that question, what are, what are my six words? I usually say something to the you know tune of, Mediator, lawyer, educator, I'm Olivia Pope, or mediator, lawyer, educator, you need me. So I love the words that you chose, Erica, and they are, to me, from what I know of you, all great words to describe you, and they all ring true. So 
tell us more about you. How did you sort of become those words and how did you get here? How did you sort of end up in this place? Well, my origin story, I guess you would call it, (laughs) is that I started off doing a lot of dance and being passionate about dance, which took me to Paris, uh, where I spent a year and a half studying at the Sorbonne and, um, and doing dance. And then I woke up one day and said, you are not a dancer. You're not really good enough to be a dancer. But I discovered the field of arts administration. So I moved to New York and got into arts administration professionally, got the education I needed. And then, like many young people, found an internship and a mentor. And so that was at the Paul Taylor Dance Company. And through that mentorship, that became a job. And I discovered development fundraising. I discovered that I was wonderfully talented at bringing people together, at connecting all kinds of people at the finance side, the writing side, the communication side. And I loved the work itself and the arts because that was my background. And so that eventually grew to other things, opportunity at, at larger arts organizations, at universities. I worked at Columbia and NYU, and then eventually led me to my work here at SUNY New Paltz. So that's in a nutshell. <laughs> I, that is such an incredible origin story. I mean, it has taken you literally all over the world. The Sorbonne, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's so impressive. Um, and then, you know, of course, bringing you to New York and there's a stent in DC. And I love that you sort of used the passion that you had for dance to enter into this field of arts administration and also something that you're naturally gifted at, which is I've, I've witnessed firsthand your ability to connect people. Um, it's just uh, impressive. It's unparalleled. And so I, I feel like you've sort of found a way to combine so many wonderful traits and characteristics that you have. And so it must have been interesting sort of navigating the the last sort of 18 months or so um, working through a pandemic. And I'm curious to know what your single biggest challenge was in, in sort of operating in the space that you operate in. Oh, goodness. Well, we had launched seven years ago the very first ever, because mind you, I work for a state institution. So we're not as developed as a number of the private institutions where I had worked. So we launched our first ever fundraising campaign in the entire history of SUNY New Paltz called Soaring Higher, the campaign for SUNY New Paltz. And so we launched it and the pandemic year ending June 30, this 2021, that, that year was supposed to be the very last year of our campaign. And here we were suddenly unable to travel, unable to go on meetings, unable to meet with big donors. We had to scramble, my staff wasn't together. We had to pivot with all of our events, like everybody, we were on Zoom, but we had this pressure of our our goal, our $23 million goal. And it was terrifying uh, to determine how we were gonna do that. I'm really pleased to say that we actually surpassed our goal, raising 24.7 million. We went 1.7 million over our goal. And I was actually, Congratulations. You, I was surprised and moved. We, I even had one donor who called me up in December, called, our, called the president and said, how much do you have left to raise? And he told her, and she said, I'm going to give you that amount of money 
so that you know that you met your goal so that everything else that you do is just pure joy. And I actually ran into her yesterday and it's all I can do to not fling myself and <laughs> hug her. It was an act of great kindness and generosity. I love hearing that. So the, the challenge was trying to meet this, this fundraising goal, which you actually surpass. Yes. And also to keep up staff morale, of course, to as the head of a staff of, of about 20, 21 people, people were, were sad and crying and confused and trying to figure out technology. And, and part of that, of course, had started the year before, but here we were with this pressure of our, our goal. Uh, oh, and by the way, we were starting a database conversion too. So um, putting all that together and, and staying resilient and staying upbeat and connecting because of course we were, we are connectors. And one of the things that we do is we bring people together who uh, have the means, who want to do something to change the world, to change another person's life with those, those things that they could change. And so how do you build those bridges when you can't sit down with someone over a cup of coffee or you can't bring them onto campus to meet with a student? But we found ways to do that. And, and I think that was also very empowering, just that act of doing that. And, and how did you do that? Because, I mean, that, that act of connection and connecting others and, you know, not even being able to have a cup of coffee or to meet in person, I think, impacted a lot of people throughout the world. And so what are some of the ways that you were able to connect people, um, especially the students, over the time? Yeah, Damali, you know, I, I found that making new friends was very difficult that um, I can't say that we didn't make any new friends, but it was not a strong point. It was, it took a different kind of energy and there was this distance um, when you're only on the computer with someone, eventually you do have to be in person. But what we found is that we had really laid the groundwork and we had made friends. We had been talking to people, we had been cultivating people to use development word. We had been caring about people and their causes and how we might help them fulfill that. And we also had been providing scholarship money for our students and we'd gotten to know many of our students and we had built a whole new alumni base because when I started, we really didn't have an alumni organization. So over the last eight years that I've been at New Paltz, we brought in an alumni director and we actually built an alumni organization. So we had, we had put the building blocks in place. I will say that if we had just started during the pandemic, I'm not sure how we would have done it, but we were fortunate to have this strong foundation. And so we reached out to people and we, we were very honest about where we were in our challenges. And we we brought them together with students and things were smaller. So we had, it was quality. We went deeper rather than wider. So we did all that vertical work. So it might be one student and one interested person and one faculty member all talking about a program. Here's an example. We had a, a couple who was very concerned about the mental health challenges of our students. And the year before they had started, the Student Psychological Resilience Project at New Paltz, where the idea was that 
they would, one of our professors would train students in her disaster. She, she works for the, the Institute for Disaster Mental Health at New Paltz, and they do mental health disaster response. So she, she took her techniques and she trained our students in working with other students to give them techniques to cope before it became an emergency. So we had this whole program laid out that this donor and his wife were funding. He's an alum of New Pulse and he got very excited. And we were, we were going to go into the dormitories and, and do orientations. The students were going to do that and they couldn't do it. So instead, they, the students pivoted. They did some online trainings. They did a lot with social media. And we brought the donor and his wife together with these students to talk about how they were doing. And we all had these meetings. And so we kept that going and moving and meaningful and sad because we wanted to hug each other. But that's just one example. And he could see the results of how these students were coping. And we could talk about mental health and it gave us a forum to talk about mental health with our young people because they were suffering very badly. So that's just one, one small example of, of what we did. And we did some online parties. Uh, we did some very succinct videos so people didn't have to sit through long video presentations. We took people on the tour. You mentioned the Dorsky Museum earlier. We took people on a virtual tours of the museum, but snapshots, we tried to do things a little bit differently. Um, so perhaps you would have a a photograph and then a piece of music and you would explain the connection. Uh, we, but we, we relied a lot on our students. There's nothing like a student. We had one student whose internet wasn't working and he came and talked to the board, the SUNY New Paltz Foundation board from his car. He was in his wow. car with his car light on his phone. He showed so much resilience that one of my board members hired him as her diversity intern at her law firm. Wow. And so he's now become our favorite student speaker. So we really discovered people up close and personal. We discovered how they were doing things. Can you imagine doing something from your car? And he was so worried that how people would view him. And instead it turned around and it made people say, this is somebody who's, who's being creative and using all of their talents so we tried to do that very same thing. And we also realized we were not going to be perfect, right? You're not going to be perfect. There are all those funny people. I had a cat that was pretty much always at a certain time of day hitting me with his tail. <laughs> and it, it makes you human. And I think one of the things that I found also as a very hard-driven, goal-oriented professional is to step back and think about the human side of every person on my staff, our donors, our students, to take a minute and learn about people's stories about their hardship. We, we uh, took some time to also think about where are you today on a scale of one to 10? You don't have to explain it. Are you a two? Well, maybe you won't be saying very much today. Are you an eight? Well, maybe you'll help lead the meeting. So thinking about how do we check in with people and trying to continue that now that we're back sort of face to face with our masks on. I, I love just hearing the different ways that 
you navigated and you and you know your, the institution, right? Um, the students, donors, how you navigated the challenges that came forward or that were presented during COVID and still because of that strong foundation that you mentioned that had been put into place, the infrastructure was there and it, the infrastructure, the foundation showed resilience in a sense, um, given that you had built you know, this alumni organization, you'd already set up a lot of things for, you know, it sounded like for your staff, it's also, also for the students, and then for um, some interaction with especially this project with respect to um, mental health for students and how to help them to cope and realizing that because people could meet in person, what that would look like. Um, and continuing to offer that as an option for students. And it sounds like it was very successful. And so it's... And Damali, you know, the other thing I just thought of, I wanted to share with you, a couple of our donors stepped up. And this, again, a lot of these ideas came from other people. And they said to me, if if I gave you a challenge grant, $50,000, would that help? And I'll tell anyone who's involved in philanthropy, challenge grants really do work. You can't overuse them like everything else. But we had two challenge grants, one from SUNY itself for our student crisis fund. And that student crisis fund gives out micro grants, $500, $1,000, no more than $1,000 for students who can't pay their rent. They can't buy food. They can't get course materials. You would be shocked to find out how often students run out of money and 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 they they start thinking about dropping out of school and five hundred dollars changes their lives. And then another challenge grant from a donor who's wanted to be anonymous. He's not an alum. Somebody who lives in the area who cares about public higher education, and he provided a challenge grant for our crossing the finish line fund. This is for a student who's a senior or a junior, and they're about to drop. They've gone through everything. They're in good standing. And a crisis happens in their lives. Maybe their mom's a single parent and, and she loses her job or, or, or there's drug abuse in the family or there, something happens, a house burns down. I mean, there's so many crises. This gives the student a, a scholarship, a nice chunk of money to finish their education. So they get through, they cross the finish line, they get through that last year. And so we met all of those challenges in record time and more. And one of the things that surprised me, maybe it shouldn't have, but it did, was that, of course, the stock market was doing well, but people took that money from the stock market and they looked around as to where they could make an impact. And they gave, they gave big and they had conversations with us. How could we help? What makes the most difference? And I, I think I spent a lot of my time fending off tears and, and be, because I was so moved by this. I, I mean, really, truly, it sounds corny maybe, but um, when I see that kind of generosity in people who don't have to do anything, it, it never ceases to astonish me. Uh, so... It's quite remarkable. I mean, just hearing about the generous donors and the challenge grants um, for people who are having challenges and really utilizing those funds to help students that make a difference in their lives. And it sounds like also impact, you know, their their families. And I'm, I'm assuming too, just 
thinking forward, like how continuing to be in school can make generational changes for them as well. And so it's a very profound way to make a difference. And it's something that I'm sure that they won't forget. I can, even as you were speaking, I was bending off tears because it is very moving to hear how even people who didn't attend the school, um, but who are devoted to public educate, higher education, wanted to make a difference in their community and in the lives of others. And so what's impressive is that you're still standing, Erica. You know, you're still here. The, the university is still here. Um, you know, all the great work that you're doing is still making a difference. And so you, I mean, I've heard about the foundation and the resilience of the programs that you were affiliated with. Um, where does your resilience come from and how do you tap into it? Oh gosh, thank you for that. <laughs> I I think I have three things primarily. One is I think a lot about my own origin story where I came from, but I think about my grandparents on both sides of my family. I think about my my Jewish side of my family where they were at a different phase in their immigrant experience and were a little bit better off than others. I think about my Catholic side of my family, very, very working class, cleaning houses, midwifery, and how they came together, which allowed me to see all of humanity. And so I love to carry that with me in my soul. Like, how do you how do you bridge that? And that that thinking about my my own, they're not exactly ancestors, they don't go back that many generations, but those people give me strength. I you've heard about our students. I think about I I am mission-driven in my work. I need to know that that when I die, I feel that I've made, I've left the world better than I found it. And so I think about that sometimes that comes down to helping one person. It's not always systemic change, but I do think sometimes when I'm down, one of my staff members, I was really down the other day and she sent me a profile of a student scholarship recipient because we send that those out to all of our donors. Here's your, here's your student so they can read about the person who got their, their gift. And she said, I want you to read this, this young woman's story. It's so uplifting, it will change you today. And it did. And so when I need inspiration, I think about our students, I read about them, I meet with them. I've taken on the mentorship project myself at the university this year for the first time for our scholars mentorship program. Um, so a, a young woman of color who I'm going to be mentoring. And so those are the things. And then the, the final thing is that I will say is that I find that being honest is really key to my inner resilience. And owning up to mistakes right away, not waiting. I mean, maybe you have to wait a little bit so that you can kind of get through whatever it is. But I think owning up, vocalizing that, sharing that, apologizing, but, and also owning up to your successes, showing yourself some love. Because we, those of us who are successful, and, and probably everyone, we beat ourselves up a lot. So that kind of honesty, am I being honest about but I did well today. Okay, you go, girl. <laughs> and I'm being honest about the things that I need to change. Did I say something overly harshly? And 
let's look at that. And so I, I find for me that gives me a lot of strength every day. So those are the three elements, my, my family, ancestors, my work itself, the, the, the people we serve, and, and then that quest for honesty, which is, it is a quest because I, I never quite feel like I achieve perfection. Like you a great job. <laughs> that would be boring. Being perfect. <laughs> it would be very boring if people were perfect or if we were all the same. The world would be yeah. so boring. And I loved hearing how you sort of put had those three categories of warrior resilience comes from. And I can see that sort of undercurrent and also tying it back to something you said earlier about just like recognizing that humanness, right? That sort of human thread that connects all of us. And, and I think that's part of what resonates with me um, when thinking about your resilience coming from your family and ancestors, from, you know, the students who ever need a reminder of like why you do what you do to seeing their success is, is a great way to celebrate with them. And then also this quest for honesty um, and celebrating, you know, the, the, the good things and learning from the things that where there's what, learning from areas where we can improve. I think those are all amazing, amazing tips for our listeners. What about mistakes? Um, any sort of things that you did that you, you know, want to prevent others from doing any type of, and it's interesting. I, I said mistake the other day and one of the, my, my guests said, well, I don't see mistakes. I see, you know, lessons and reminders. And so it was a very interesting way to think about that. But essentially what I'm looking for here is, you know, what is something that you want to say? I did this and I want to prevent you from doing it. You don't have to go down that path. Well, sometimes it can feel like, like what they say, whack-a-mole, right? You, you're thinking about things and everything. You're like, wait a minute. What? But one of the, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, who's at the table and making sure, particularly with very large discussions, and that could, in my field, it could range everything from uh, an important donation that's being made. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're uh, talking to the stakeholders around that. It might be somebody's giving you a gift. And if you don't talk to the the department that is benefiting from the gift. And then they, they, they'll say, well, wait a minute, that's too complicated. We don't, can't possibly do that. So that, but that manifests in all sorts of ways. Who, who's at the table? And maybe you don't know who should be at the table. You can't actually see that because you don't know what you don't know. So maybe having a few trusted people around you who you can say, hey, did I forget anything? Did I forget anyone? Is there anything that I've forgotten? And so I think for me, that is, it, it, it helps prevent a lot of mistakes. Who should be part of this discussion? Universities are a lot like cities and towns. There's a lot of people engage, a lot of stakeholders in almost everything that we do. It's very collaborative in our thinking. Imagine a town where you have the police and you have the board of education and you have the fire department and you have the business owners and the property owners and, and the kids. And so all of these people have a feeling about something if you're going to repave a road. So 
it's the same thing in a university when you're doing major initiatives. There are a lot of people who are engaged in things who have a lot of feelings about them. And, and so making sure that you've reached out as much as you possibly can, and you can do that in every aspect of your life. Who makes it needs to be at the table to make a decision about the vacation that we're going to take next week or whatever that is. So that would be my main piece of current strategy. I would say that I'm, I'm thinking about a lot. Making sure that the right people are at the table, who are the stakeholders and who should be a part of the conversation. I love it. I really do. And I do see how that can be applicable, whether it's preparing for a vacation or dinner or, you know, talking about various ways that uh, people work together and and not just on, on campus or in a university, as you said, but in many walks of life, right, in various situations. And so what I'd like to end with is something that my mom used to always say, which is each one teach one. And, you know, this is where we have a little bit of fun and I'd love for you to share um, something interesting, a, a book or song or course or program for our listeners to kind of walk away with as kind of something, a little bit of homework, if you will, for them to do, which is apropos given that you are in the philanthropic industry, but also in education and the other education industry as well. So let's give, let's give them a little bit of homework. This is really fun. So there's one business thing and there's one personal thing. So the business thing is listen to Adam Grant's podcast. It has changed my life. It's called Work Life. And he has all sorts of guest speakers on it. And then you can listen to the guest speakers podcast and follow them. It is, he's an organizational psychologist from Harvard. I do not own a piece of this podcast. I will just tell you, it has helped me a lot. And the other uh, thing is in terms of my personal well-being, I listen to a lot of music. I do a, I dance to one song at least every day. And one of the songs I've been listening to a lot is Aretha Franklin's Let It version of Let It Be. I love Aretha singing Let song. It Be. One day I think I listened to it maybe 24 times. Oh wow. <laughs> Well, I yesterday, listen, sometimes you, music has a way of transporting you to a different place and you have a dance background. So I'm sure that, you know, you combine you have a combination of those amazing moves and also the, you know, the, how music can really, it's especially let it be, can inspire you in different ways, especially depending on, you know, what's happening in the soundtrack of your life. Right. I um, have one song every morning to anything you want, you dance it in private by yourself so no one can see you. And that one moment, five minutes, it can change your mood for the whole day. I love that. I That's can imagine. Yeah, it must release some of those good endorphins and all the things that you need to smile and have fun. I love that. I used to listen to a song every day, every before every exam in law school. And it was a song by Eve and it was called, Who's That Girl? And every before every test, it's like, who's that girl? And I would say, the girl's going to you know, get an A on this test. <laughs> and so it played that. Um, and yesterday on repeat for me, I was playing Yola, Now You're Here. And I, I love that song. And I'm, I'm not going to try to butcher her song by trying to sing it, but that's another great song. Um, and she's a gem. So another wonderful song. Yeah. So I would like to thank you, Erica, for joining us today. Um, thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you, Damali. This was such a pleasure and an honor, and I feel empowered for the rest of my day. Thank you. Oh, excellent. And I think our listeners will really appreciate hearing a lot of the jewels that you basically shared with us today. So many gems for tapping into resilience, for seeing opportunities where, you know, perhaps, you know, there might be some challenges, but seeing it as an opportunity. Okay, we're in a pandemic and what can we do? Instead of having this in person, we're going to do this remotely. We're going to find different ways to have small gatherings that are appropriate to make sure we still have some connection um, and maintain that humanness. And there were just so many wonderful things that we learned today. So thank you again. I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Breakthrough ADR. That's the at sign, B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H, capital A, capital D, capital R. I'm your host, Damali Peterman. And this is Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. Although I am a lawyer, mediator, and an educator, and many of my co-hosts will represent various professions, we want to be clear that we are not providing legal advice, counseling, or suggestions. Our goal is to provide a roadmap for conflict resolution to generate future conflict resolvers. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day.